Thanks so much, Brother Bergner. I've had a number of people ask me about that tornado. You know, I um, used to say to our people in the Middle West here that we never have tornadoes in Colorado. But I have to change that. It came seven blocks from our house and tore the roof right off of some buildings in a shopping center and uh, some 60 homes. Some were demolished and others damaged. And uh, we looked up into the sky the day that this happened and um, we'd had a torrential rain the night before and our basement was flooded and my study I sloshed around in my study I have it carpeted and I actually splashed in the water down there and I thought it was a tragedy of course all my books and everything's down there but fortunately nothing was fell in the water except the carpeting but then I read in the papers about the floods down in Texas where they had four or five feet of water in the basements, and I quit complaining. But the very next day after we had that big rain, that's when the clouds got black and uh, my wife and I and some friends were out in the carport looking up into the sky and we saw that black cloud coming up and pretty soon we saw the funnel going like this. And you know, it looks like it was so far away that you wouldn't possibly uh, hit near us. But the state patrolman who lives across the street from us drove into the park at high speed and he jumped out of the car and ran. He saw us standing there and he says, get in the house. And we dashed in the house. And he told us afterward that the tornado was coming right down the street right after him. He was driving ahead of it. And uh, it picked up this house and missed the one right next to it, didn't even touch it. Picked up another one over here, another one over here. Very selective. Uh, really something. We went through the damaged area a couple of days afterward and I just couldn't hardly believe it because I haven't been that close to a tornado ever. Now, I used to live in Chicago. Spent 21 years here and in the Chicago area. But uh, we used to say we don't have tornadoes in Colorado, but we do. Hopefully, the forecaster is right when he said it's one of those one-in-a-hundred-year tornadoes. I won't be around for the next one. Let's turn in our Bibles now to the 20th chapter of the book of Acts. And I suppose of all the subjects assigned by our program committee this year for the conference, I have the best one, certainly the one that I enjoy preaching about the most. The gospel of grace, so perhaps more accurately, the gospel of the grace of God. The term, the gospel of grace and the gospel of the grace of God, is found only in one place where our brother Bergner read this morning, Acts 20, 24. And uh, 
we have here in the context the parting words of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesian elders. One of the most emotional scenes recorded in the Bible, I believe. And the Apostle, after reviewing his ministry among them, gives this testimony in verse 24. Let me read it again. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear or precious unto myself, so that I might finish the course, the definite article there, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of or about or out from the grace of God. This statement is very closely related to the one that our brother Sermon read at the 9 o'clock hour this morning, Ephesians 3, 2, where Paul says, How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words. And he speaks of the dispensation of the grace of God which was committed to him. Now, many people have the idea, and I've heard this ever since I first began to see Pauline truth, that there is only one gospel. And, of course, if you make that statement, you better explain what you mean. Certainly, it is true there is only one gospel for today. But on the other hand, there are many, many preachings of good news throughout the Word of God, as all of us should know. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, defines the gospel of salvation. And he says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and was buried and arose again according to the Scriptures. Now, this gospel that Paul preached was based upon the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. In Luke 9, 6, and here was a verse that used to trouble me somewhat back in the days when I was floundering in the fog spiritually. This verse used to trouble me, for it says, the twelve departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And I didn't know it though in those days that though the twelve preached the gospel, it was not the gospel with which I'm familiar and which I was preaching. The gospel based upon the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Certainly, the twelve apostles didn't even understand and didn't believe that Christ was to die and be buried and rise again when they preached the gospel. And then Luke adds, and healing everywhere. So that must have been a different gospel. 
In looking through my Bible once again in studying for this message, I noted at least a dozen places where there is a gospel mentioned. There may be more. I Maybe some of you can give me some more, but there are at least 12 that I found. Some of these, of course, are setting forth various aspects of the same gospel. The kingdom gospel, and I'll just give you these quickly. Some are taking notes and you'd like to write down the reference. The kingdom gospel, Matthew 4, 23. The gospel of the circumcision, Galatians 2, 7. The uncircumcision, also in Galatians 2, 7. The everlasting gospel. We're going to hear some of these gospels preached on during the rest of the week. The everlasting gospel, Revelation 14, 6. We had a young man in our church some years ago who made the statement that the everlasting gospel was the gospel of grace. And uh, I certainly didn't agree with him, and it confused the number of people who came to me and asked me about that. We're going to find out that the everlasting gospel is a gospel of judgment, but it's called the gospel, isn't it? The gospel of grace that we're just going to speak about this morning, Acts twenty twenty four. The gospel of Christ, Romans one sixteen. The gospel of God that we heard about this morning, Romans one one and fifteen sixteen. The gospel of peace, Ephesians six fifteen. My gospel, as Paul calls it in Romans sixteen twenty five. Our gospel. 2 Thessalonians 2.14, the gospel of your salvation, Ephesians 1.13, and the gospel of the glory of Christ, 2 Corinthians 4.3 and 4. Now these are some of the gospels, and as we said, some are very different, while others are different aspects of the same gospel, as most of you know. Besides these that are mentioned by name, there are many preachings of good news throughout the Scriptures, starting in the Garden of Eden and going through the entire Bible. And anyone who says there is only one gospel is like someone saying there is only one preaching of good news. This morning we'd like to take a close look at the subject which was assigned to us, the gospel of grace. The gospel proceeding from the grace of God. Now it's true that grace has characterized God's dealings with the human race from the very beginning. Men have always been saved by grace through faith. I used to wonder about that when I began the ministry of preaching many years ago. And I didn't understand 
that men have always been saved by grace. However, in other ages, God expected men to do certain works as an evidence of their faith in the grace of God. Wonderful to be able to understand this. That explains how men could be saved before Christ even died. And how wonderful to know that the merits of the work of Christ saved those before the cross. I remember when I was a Bible school student, they used to say that those before the cross looked forward to Christ dying for their sins. We look back to the cross. But how wrong that is. Certainly those before the cross knew little or nothing about God's purpose in sending Christ to die for their sins. We know it now. But it's the habit of many preachers and Bible teachers to anticipate revelation. And they read into Old Testament passages the Pauline revelation. Not until Paul proclaims the gospel of grace are works completely eliminated from God's plan of salvation. And this morning, in the time that we have left, we'd like to call attention to six great distinctive doctrines which together comprise the gospel of grace. We're just going to touch on them. Our brethren will elaborate on some of these in detail later. First of all, redemption by the blood of Christ. Now, redemption has always been by blood. But under the law, it was the blood of animals. And sacrifices had to be made for anyone to be saved. If I was to offer a sacrifice now, I would frustrate the grace of God. Certainly no true believer would offer a sacrifice today because Christ has made the once-for-all sacrifice. In Hebrews 9, let's turn there. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 19 through verse 22, we read these words. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the New Testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry and almost all things. Almost all things. Some were cleansed with water, you remember. Almost all things 
are by or according to law purchased with purged with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission and in the 10th chapter verse 4 for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin during Christ's earthly ministry sacrifices were still in order Matthew 5 23 and 24, you remember, in the so-called Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother had aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. So sacrifices were still in order when Christ was here. But Paul sums up redemption under the gospel of the grace of God in Ephesians 1, 7, one of my favorite verses, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And Peter in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, talks about this redemption. Here is another passage which clearly sets forth the price of redemption. Verses 18 and 19, 1 Peter 1, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so, the very heart of the gospel of grace is redemption by the precious blood of Christ. The second great distinctive doctrine is reconciliation of Jew and Gentile to God through the work of Christ on the cross. In Ephesians 2, and let's turn there also, please. Ephesians 2, verses 14 through 16. And here, by the way, we have the definition of the mystery that our brother Thurman spoke about earlier. Ephesians 2, 14 to 16, For he is our peace, who has made both one, that is, Jew and Gentile, one, and has broken down the middle wall of the partition, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in ordinances for to make or create in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body, by or through the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Jew and Gentile in one body. And in 2 Corinthians 5.19, the great passage on reconciliation, 
the apostle writes, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of the reconciliation. You see, that's the good news. So often people say that the gospel is good news, and that's really what it means. The good news is that God is not imputing our trespasses unto us. How wonderful to see that and to know that. That's good news to sinners who deserve nothing but eternal hell. Again, Paul sums up the truth of reconciliation in Romans 5. And I have to read this from the, what I believe is the greatest salvation chapter in the Bible. Romans 5, starting with verse 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for or instead of the ungodly. For scarcely even for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. I personally think that that's talking about the wrath of God in the tribulation. Saved from the wrath through him. For if or since when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life, for the life that he now possesses. He's living, he's a living Savior. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the reconciliation. And the King James has atonement here. If you haven't changed that in your Bible, you should. The word is reconciliation there. Please note that. And so, men are called upon to receive the reconciliation. The reconciliation has been made. We're to appropriate it, make it our own. The next great truth in the gospel of grace is the incorporation of Jew and Gentile into the one body. This is the mystery, as we said, or the secret. This is accomplished by the baptism of the Spirit, for by one baptism, by one Spirit, are we all baptized into one body. And in Romans 12, 5, the apostle says that the gospel of grace makes us members of the one body. Not only are we members of Christ, first of all, but we're also members one of, our, one of another. One of another. Here is the first mention of the gospel of grace and the one body. The one body. 
and the fact that we are members of it. Romans 12, verse 5. Ephesians 3, 6 says that we're joint heirs, members of the joint body, and joint partakers together in this one body. Where else do we read about this except in the Pauline epistles? This is at the heart of the gospel of grace. The next great truth or the, do the next great doctrine is justification by grace through faith apart from works. Now, justification by grace through faith certainly was true in the Old Testament. But it's the Apostle Paul who first announces that it is apart from works. Up till Paul's announcement regarding justification by faith apart from works, certain works were always required, as we said earlier. Certain works were required to be saved in the Old Testament and under the law and even on into the Gospels and even in, into the early chapters of Acts. But Paul announces that salvation is by grace through faith. We're justified by grace apart from works. Romans 3.21 And Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are justified by grace through faith, apart from works, and we have peace with God. Now, sometimes people say, in speaking of someone who has departed this life, they say, well, they made their peace with God before they died. You've heard that. No one has made their peace with God, have they? No one. Christ alone made peace with God. 1900 years ago, when he hung on the cross for your sins and mine. And so, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The next doctrine that I'd like to mention, identification of the individual believer with Christ. Identified with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. How little there is said about this great truth, especially as set forth in Romans 6. And I personally believe that the reason that many people neglect the truth and say little or nothing about it is because they have read a water ceremony into the teaching of Romans 6. And this, it seems to me, nullifies the truth completely. No wonder we have so much shallow living among God's people careless living. I think that if we don't understand identification, 
we've missed God's plan for living a godly life. Understanding Romans 6 and our identification with Christ and that when Christ died, we died. Paul says in Romans 6, 6, that the old man is crucified. He's dead. But too many of the Lord's people resurrect, as it were, the old man. They take the corpse out of the grave and provide for him. When God says he's dead, may the Lord help us to understand Romans 6. And I just may be talking to somebody today to whom this has never been said. Most denominational churches today shy away from any teaching about identification. And mostly because they want to read a ritual or a ceremony into the teaching here in this great chapter. I'm convinced that understanding Romans 6 is the secret of living a life pleasing to God. Colossians 2, 11 and 12 also speaks about a baptism and a circumcision without hands. That couldn't possibly be physical. It's again talking about identification. And Galatians 3, 27 says we're baptized into Christ and therefore have put on Christ. As many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Then lastly, the gospel of grace sets forth the doctrine of transformation. Transformation at the rapture. This is an exclusive Pauline truth. First Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. First Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, we won't turn to it, but you all know it where the details of the rapture are spoken of. Where else do we find anything about the transformation at the rapture except in the Pauline epistles and in the gospel of grace? Many have read the rapture into Matthew 24, and that's fatal to understanding the imminent return of Christ. When you put the rapture in Matthew 24, the only conclusion you could come to is a 
post-tribulation rapture. And many have arrived at that. And I personally believe that the reason that the imminent return of Christ has been sidetracked in many places is because they've refused to accept the distinctive Pauline revelation and the fact that transformation at the rapture is a Pauline truth not found in the Gospels. In fact, not even found in John 14. I have been at funeral services where the familiar passage in John 14 in my father's house are many mansions and so on was read as though that was the coming of Christ at the rapture. No wonder there is religious confusion. The rapture alone is a Pauline truth. It's a part of the gospel of grace. Titus 2.13 Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to have a changed body. And our last scripture this morning, Philippians 3, 20 and 21. Look at it before we go. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. For our manner of life or our behavior, the word is translated in some places. Here, however, it is citizenship. For our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our body of humiliation, perhaps is better, that it may be fashioned like unto his body of glory, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. What a day that's going to be. And then we'll have new bodies. Some will have suffered a great deal. Some who would love to have been with us here this week, but who couldn't be here because of bodily afflictions. You're going to get a new body one of these days, and what a day that will be. That's only a part of what's ahead as we meet our Savior and see Him face to face. And I want to say before we go, that the gospel of grace can also be perverted. The perversion of the gospel of grace. Paul says in Galatians 1, 6, that if any preach any other gospel, let him be accursed. Preaching by preaching salvation, calling it the gospel by character, or by ritualism, or by ceremonies and ordinances. 
perverts the gospel of grace. And telling people that God has done his part, now we have to do our part to be saved. Certainly is a perversion of the gospel of grace. Adding works of any kind to what Christ has done frustrates the grace of God. May we preach the gospel of grace. That's why the BBF is organized. That's why we have this conference. Because not only do we believe in the distinctive Pauline revelation, but it is our desire to preach the pure gospel of grace based entirely upon the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. May the Lord help us to carry out our responsibility in getting this message out. Now, I haven't told you a thing new. In fact, one of our older men said to me yesterday, you know, this, is, this conference won't bring out anything new. But we're not here just to tell you new things. But we're here to review the old. And I trust that once again, we'll have a clear picture of what the gospel of grace really is. Just in case someone's here who's unsaved, let me just say that Christ died for your sins. The Word of God says so. But he didn't just die, he was buried and he arose again, and the work is finished. Will you believe it? Simple, childlike faith. You can't work up faith and you can't pray it down, I tell our people at home. God must give you the faith to believe the gospel and be saved. Do you see that you're the sinner for whom Christ died? Trust him right today. I tell you, we'd be so glad to remain behind for a few minutes after the service, and should there be anyone here who is unsaved, how glad we'd be to go over the way of salvation with you personally and show you how you can know that you're saved if you're not sure about that most important question. We'd love to have a word of prayer with you also. And I hope that you make known your need if the Lord has spoken to your heart. Shall we stand as we close? Our Father, we thank Thee once again that it's been our privilege to go over some of the great truths of the gospel. We pray that we may have a clear understanding of what the gospel of grace really is. May no one confuse it with other Gospels, other preachings of good news throughout the Word of God. But may they
they see clearly the gospel of grace, which all of us love. May we preach it and stand for it and proclaim it without fear or favor. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.